Hello, this is Yaro Starak, and welcome to the Entrepreneur's Journey podcast. Today's guest is Belinda Weaver. Hi there, thank you for downloading this episode of the EJ podcast. Belinda, my guest today, is going to share with you a story that I think you will find very applicable, very realistic if you're currently in a full-time job and want to transition to having your own business and eventually your own business selling digital products online, which is exactly what Belinda did. She went from being employed to then becoming a freelancer to then switching again to selling her own online courses. And you'll see as you listen to her story how smooth all the transitions were. Yes, she had to work hard, but every step she took never felt like it was a huge gamble. She always did it with the confidence that her next step was working. She was making money from a freelance business or she was ready to start selling digital products. Everything just seemed to work well. And I think you can replicate what she did. And she really does give you the steps and exactly everything that she did right in order to make the transition so smooth. Also, what I love about this story is that she used a blog. She built a platform with a blog, an email list, and social media, everything that I'm teaching and doing and all my students are doing as well. And she used that as a tool for growing a freelance business and then as a tool for launching her digital product business as well. You can see it really was the secret, the heart and soul of why she's been able to have such a successful online business. Now, if you enjoy interviews like this with Belinda, I'd like to encourage you to sign up to my interviewsclub.com email newsletter where I'll send you my latest podcast like this one with Belinda and also a series of my previous podcasts. So you get all the fresh ones as soon as I release them, plus my best ones from my archive sent to you automatically once a week, all for free. So you can sign up for that at interviewsclub.com. All right, here is the interview with Belinda. Enjoy. Hello, this is Yarrow and welcome to an Entrepreneur's Journey podcast. Today, my guest is going to share a story which I think is really valid for anyone who's looking to transition from employment to freelancer to making a a near passive income from selling information products. So I think that's a really good uh, transition that a lot of people would like to go through, feel they could go through, and we're going to speak to someone who's actually done it. Now, her name is... Belinda, who's actually from uh, Brisbane as well, Belinda Weaver. And funnily enough, she's also just near me. I'm in San Francisco right now, and she's in San Jose. So I I don't know if I'm following her or she's following me, but Belinda, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it is quite a coincidence that we're practically (laughs) neighbours. Where are you from in Brisbane originally? Um, I and it's really interesting when people ask where you're from in Brisbane. I think you generally mean north of the river or south of the river. But yeah, I was uh, in a suburb called Sunnybank, and I grew up in Brisbane. I moved um, to England for a few years in in the year 2001, and then when I came back to Australia, I lived in Melbourne for a few years. Sunnybank. I thought only Asian people live in Sunnybank. <laughs> <laughs> I lived in Sunnybank before it became uh, had a strong such a strong Chinese community. Oh, it's got the best Chinese food. I used to go there every Sunday with my, my guy friends, and I love the food there. And it's always open, 24-7 a day. It's fantastic. Absolutely. <laughs> but anyway, I digress. We should probably talk about internet business. So um, now you, let's cover, I, I wanted to find out how you became a copywriter because that's the freelancing work you did, and that's also what your information publishing business is. And you've gone from being an employee to making a full-time living freelancing and then a full-time living selling digital information products and that that is such a beautiful um, leap I think and it's it's a nice way to transition because I don't think people can quickly jump always into information products because you need an audience and there might be some financial bridges you have to kind of cross before you can live off that money so freelancing is a great gateway but before we dive into all of that Let's go back. Were you obviously you had a job? So did you go to university in in Melbourne, maybe, or you know have studies? Uh, well, no, I went to university in in Brisbane. Okay. I actually started my career in in the IT industry. I worked um, as a pretty hardcore IT geek for nearly ten years. And then I jumped over into marketing, and that's when I discovered probably what I should have been doing all along. Um, I 
I really tapped in. I became really passionate about marketing and, and that passion has helped me always strive to become a better marketer. Um, but I, So I was working in a marketing day job, just like many people do when they, they jump into freelance life. And um, I was going through a period of upheaval in, in my career. My husband and I were talking about starting a family. I wasn't particularly happy in my job. So I was looking for a change, but I didn't really know what that change was would look like or what I wanted it to look like. And I went to a, a, a one-day conference and I heard a lady talking about copywriting and I was interested in copywriting because I was writing copy every day. So I was very interested in what she had to say. And she wrapped up her presentation talking about the benefits of being a freelance copywriter. And quite honestly, I felt like lightning hit me. I didn't even know it was a thing that you could do full-time. So I I really vividly remember this fire starting in my belly and I went back to work and, you know, within a couple of weeks I'd signed up for a copywriting course and I'd registered my business, Copyright Matters, on the side and I did the course. I started promoting myself. I started getting clients and so I was working on the weekend and in the evening still while holding down my day job and then within six months I could pretty much cover my salary. So That's an amazingly fast success story. Do you remember what course it was you took? Whose course? It was through the Australian School of Copywriting okay. and I did their, their home study course. So I studied at home. I applied it at work. So, you know, the copy I was writing in my marketing role improved. Um, but then I also started getting clients through social media marketing pretty much. And then little by little, it just kind of snowballed. So Okay. what's now Copywriting I find is a very specialized form of writing. I actually don't enjoy it as much as obviously blogging I, I find it um I don't know it's it's getting better because I find it's getting closer to blogging in the sense that you're telling stories and and you can get away with writing good stories as copy but I think good copy is a lot tighter than that is this word selection is so critical and there's so many yeah. nuances to it so can you maybe explain especially coming from working in marketing to then taking a course to then feeling like and obviously being good enough to sell services, how big a leap was that from your writing prior? It was massive actually. Um, and what I really brought to my copywriting business was my marketing experience. Um, so the the key to writing effective copy is the, the word selection. But before that, you need to understand who you're talking to. You need to understand the motives that are driving behavior and decision making and things like that. And you also under, understand need to understand the business that you're trying to connect to an audience. So the marketing experience I had um, helped me fast track uh, my ability to write copy. So what I learned in the course was the techniques, the writing techniques. Um, a lot of people think copywriting is super creative and it's just a talent and you've got it or you haven't. But just like any other skill, when you learn the framework and you learn the processes involved, um, you can actually create repeatable success. So once I understood the techniques and I understood the frameworks, then and then it was really just a matter of, of practicing and I got to practice in my day job so that when I started working with clients outside of my day job, I was actually feeling really quite confident mm. in my abilities and a lot, of, a lot of getting paid well for the work you do as a freelancer is confidence. What types of materials were you practicing on in your day job? Although it's not really practice since you were getting paid to do it. but <laughs> Yeah. Well, you know, I was, as the um, marketing coordinator, I came up with a marketing strategy, but I also had to execute it. So um, I was writing re re regular email campaigns, but I was also creating all the brochure content for the sales team to use, and I was maintaining the website content. And, you know, it just... Uh, being in that position, I was the marketing resource. I, if I had an idea to run some ads or do some case studies or write some editorial, I got to explore that. So I also got to practice those kind of things in various formats. I pretty much suggested to the MD that we should do every type of marketing <laughs> so that I could practice the copywriting for it and see the results. And, and what were you selling? <laughs> it was an extremely exciting product, uh, software for the timber industry. <laughs> okay. So it was wow. Really, <laughs> yeah, it was really niche. So I also got to practice writing about something that I had little to no interest in, which is often part of your job. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a real good test. If, if you can 
be a good copywriter writing about something you don't like, or maybe that may be harsh, but something you're not yeah. super passionate about, then you can take that skill and replicate it into other markets, which obviously was something required to become a freelance copywriter. So can you explain how you got maybe your first client? Well, that, that was an important one. How did you get your first client? Well, I actually got, um, as part of the course that I did, I applied to become um, part of their copywriting dream team. And that was a coaching program, but it also um, allowed me to get referrals. So yeah, being part of that copywriting dream team gave me access to a couple of leads. And when I did those first few jobs, I then had things in my portfolio. And at the same time, what I was doing was um, sharing my knowledge on social media. So I instantly created, um, you know, a Facebook profile and I started sharing copywriting tips because I thought that would be the best way to position myself as the copywriter that people knew on social media. And then once I got the hang of that, I started Twitter and, you know, LinkedIn. And then when Google Plus started, I started on there. And, um, eventually, I started a blog as well. So this is content marketing and social media marketing working together. And that's pretty much how I got all my leads for the next four years. And my pipeline was always full. And pretty much for that entire time, I was booked four to six weeks in advance. Mm. How, how are people finding you? Because I know simply posting tips to social media won't necessarily grow your following that quickly. Were you doing proactive marketing of your social channels, your blog, anything like that? Well, I think I think social media has really changed. So uh, in 2009, 2010, when I actually started Copyright Matters and I started this, I, you could actually get quite a following from posting tips. It was before Facebook, you know, got really... Um, uh, profit oriented, not that they are they are profit oriented, but it's before all the rules change, and you could um, really post helpful information, and that information would get shared, and you would get likes and followers. So that's actually how my first few leads came through, because people saying, "Oh, you post those copywriting tips; they're really useful. I'd love to talk to you about getting my website done." And another thing I did was, um, I connected with people like graphic designers and web developers, people who whose clients could need copywriting services. And I just, you know, it's what you do. It's online marketing. You connect with people, you build relationships in, in a friendly and non-aggressive way. And then when they need your services or their clients need your services, you're the person that pops into mind because you've been friendly and helpful and expert and knowledgeable and you haven't gated your experience. Mm-hmm. So the first lot of work you got was a mostly just website copy. Yeah, it was actually. Um, I you... remember. I remember it specifically. Is that what you were going to ask me? I, I want to know the niches. I love hearing about the subjects that, <laughs> that you write about. <laughs> My very first project was to write five pages for. Um, ladies' sanitary products. <laughs> so, you know, if you can imagine my day writing about software for the timber industry yep. <laughs> and my evening writing about very personal and sensitive topics for women, <laughs> it was really a very big contrast. Um, but from there, I mean, one thing I decided was that I wasn't going to niche too early because I didn't want to write about software coming from the IT industry. I'd had enough of, of technology and software. So I really wanted to leave my gates wide open for all sorts of industries. And, and in those early few jobs, you know, I wrote about finance. I did have other uh, software jobs. Um, I had ladies' uh, sanitary products. I wrote um, for an accountant. Uh, so, you know, there was a lot, there were still quite dry topics. And one of the challenges was to bring heart into the into the brand and that's one thing I tried to do you know as I carved out my business was was try and inject personality into copywriting and into marketing because a lot of businesses play it really safe they're very conservative um so that was one thing I tried one way I tried to differentiate myself Mm -hmm. how did you price since first time you freelance it can be a big decision to determine how much to charge especially for the different formats like a website versus a landing page and a sales Mm. page and a brochure and so on so how did you decide all that well the first thing I did was um, choose an hourly rate and it 
it's you know pricing is there's a lot of science behind pricing but I think when you start out it's you just put your finger up in the air and you pick a number and you just see how it pans out so you know I went to I discovered every copywriting rate card I could find from competitors around the world to try and get a feel for an average price for my experience level um, and then I was I was given some advice uh, set your price and then add 25% and you're probably about right <laughs> so I I picked a rate for a um, a medium experienced copywriter and then I added a little bit. The challenge of setting project prices, which is what I did for my copywriting, so I, I would offer a fixed project price. Um, the challenge was working out how long it would take me to do things. And with that, I just... I just kind of estimated based on the work I'd been doing during the day and each year I would review how how accurate that was and I would just refine my pricing and then as I got busier I got to up my rate because I was more experienced and I was um, more in demand. Mm. So, so that's, you know, it's just, I think you've just got to keep reviewing what you're doing, reviewing how long it's taking you, reviewing what people are willing to pay. Um, another piece of advice I was given was if everyone says yes, your prices aren't high enough. <laughs> so that was a bit of advice that led me to my first price rise. So how hard was it to get to a full-time income within six months, especially because you were working your full-time job? So you must have not had a lot of spare time uh, outside of these two roles you're performing if they were both making a full-time income for you. Well, uh, my, my freelance side, it wasn't necessarily a full-time income, but, but by the time I got to that six-month marker, I thought, you know what, I'm not far off. So if I, if I give away my full-time income here, um, I, I can see my pipeline is being filled regularly. So there is the potential for it to keep filling and I will be, you know, I'm not that far off. I did work very hard, but... I think when you when you hook into an idea that you are genuinely passionate about and people throw the passion word around a lot, but it was, like I said earlier, it was like a fire in my belly. So I actually, I didn't mind. I was really excited about this future that I was creating for myself. Mm. I have uh, some of my, my coaching clients, uh, my members of my programs, they've been talking recently about what conditions you should have in place before you quit a full-time job to do your online business. Mm. Did, did you have a list of criteria, like a, a certain amount of money in the bank or anything like that? My criteria was um, basically around my pipeline. You know, do I have regular jobs coming in? Do I have the marketing um, capacity to keep that pipeline full enough to secure my financial future. You know, I, I wasn't going to quit my job when I was just getting a random job here and there. I quit my job when I actually was too busy. Like, I just couldn't fit any more work in on the side when I was working every evening and every weekend. And I thought, well, I can't actually grow this anymore without giving a, a, away my, my full-time job. So that was the main criteria. Does this have the, the potential to be repeatable? Um, and that, when I said yes, and I didn't have any more time, and and the number, the amount I was earning was pretty close to my full time salary. It obviously, wasn't a great salary. <laughs> um, then that's when I went. Okay, I feel I feel secure and confident in my ability to make this successful. Okay, so you hand in your resignation. Uh, what what year was that? That was six months. You were felt comfortable. Did you actually do it at six months, or did you wait? another six months or, or something like that? No, no. So it was, I registered the business in uh, October 2009 and in, I think it was in the first quarter 2010. You handed that in the I, resignation. Yeah, but what I actually did was um, rather than, you know, it's a really liberating moment when you hand a resignation in from a job that you you don't particularly like. But what I did is I actually put together like a full PowerPoint presentation and I asked the MD for a meeting and I presented him with this alternate solution to our working arrangement. <laughs> so I basically opened up saying, um, how would you like to save $20,000 a year? And this is a time, you know, the global financial crisis is in full thrust. So he was very interested in saving $20,000 a year. And I basically broke down how I spent my day between value tasks and non-value tasks. And I said, if you hire me as a freelancer to only do the value tasks of my marketing role, the marketing campaigns still go out. 
you don't need to hire another marketing resource and you'll save up to and possibly more than $20,000 a year. And I think it took him about 30 seconds to say yes. <laughs> Did you hint at the fact that you would quit otherwise? Like this is your only option or were you, you know, trying to obviously keep the good relationship there and, and it was a bit of a too good to be true sort of deal? I wanted to keep a good relationship because basically I was asking him to um, put me on retainer. Yeah. Um, but... I was walking anyway, and I think he knew that. He actually said to me, you know, I had a feeling something was brewing. Right. So I'm not surprised we're having a conversation, but this is working out much better than I thought. <laughs> so he was really happy. Okay, so you, you quit your job, but you've got a retainer. What was the plan? Were you thinking, let's grow a massive business, or was there a target amount of money you wanted to make? What, were you even planning? Were you just sort of winging it and seeing what would happen? Oh, totally winging it. I just <laughs> wanted to, you know, I think in the first year, I just wanted to survive. I just wanted to know that at the end of the first year, um, I had done it. I had made a success and I wasn't going back to my day job. But at the same time, I thought, do you know what, if this does fail, I've got a career in marketing, you know, and I can always go back to the day job. But I knew deep down that that was never, ever going to happen. And then in year two, um, I wanted to grow my profits. So I wanted to become better. And, you know, I, I upped my rates and, and I developed systems and processes to make, make everything more efficient. Um, and then in year three, I started taking on subcontractors. So that's when I started getting ideas of, of growth beyond just me. And I started building a virtual team. Ah, okay. So explain how, how does that happen? Because that's a difficult transition to make as a freelancer because you're too busy doing the work to go through a hiring process. So how did you manage that? Well, it was actually like a lot of the, the changes I've made um, or the opportunities that have come along. Uh, it's kind of serendipitous. For example, the first freelance writer that I began working with just contacted me and said, I read your blog all the time. I really love the way you write. I'm just starting as a copywriter, um, you know, and I, do you have any time? I'd love to ask you some questions. And, and I've always been more than help, uh, happy to talk to people who were just starting out because sometimes you just need a confidence boost or, or one or two tips can really make a difference. And then we just became, you know, we started chatting and I saw some of her work and I asked her, look, you know, do you need some jobs? I've often got, you know, jobs that I'm too busy to take on. So maybe we can work something out. And that's, you know, when I got to three and four, maybe at my max, I had five subcontractors that I regularly worked with. That's how they all started. They approached me. We started chatting. I looked at their work. I gave them a few trial jobs and I paid them, of course. And then I just started giving them regular work. How does that work with your margins? Um, well, obviously, as they got better writers, as they became more successful and, and they got busier and they put their prices up, it reached a point where I was like, well, I can't give you any more work at your new prices, but I don't think you need the jobs from me now anyway. Mm. Um, so I did always look at that. Um, but the, the biggest challenge was, of course, the time I had to spend because I still took the copywriting brief. It was all branded under Copyright Matters. Um, I still took the client brief. I still did all the client liaison. Um, I made sure the work was proofread. I did any editing that needed to be done. I captured the revisions. You know, so what I discovered after that third year where I was working with these freelancers was that I was actually spending more time project managing than doing anything else. And that's when I started looking at the margins going, this actually isn't worth it. This is not a profitable way for mm. me to spend my time. So did you adjust your plans for the future of your business or what, what did you start thinking at that point? Well, yeah, I did. So I started... Uh, I, I stopped with the dream that I would have a harem of copywriters and I would kick back and smoke cigars on the beach somewhere <laughs> because I realized that was actually, that's never happens. That's not how it works at all. And I just started pairing back and I started um, pulling back to me doing more of the writing and I still kept a couple of writers for jobs because we'd worked really well together and I knew their style and they were much better writers and stuff like that. But I just generally pulled it back and I realized that that was not the business model that um, that was going to take me through the next five or ten years of mm. copyright matters. 
So do you sort of resign yourself to the fact that I will be the writer and I'll make a good margin because I do the writing myself and I can make a good income, but it's probably going to reach a, a cap at some point because you only can do so much work in a given day. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I, I started having, um, I started analyzing how much is enough. What does success look like and what am I happy with? Like, do I need to grow for the sake of growth? And I was having those kind of conversations with myself and, um, and I guess pairing back my ambitions a bit, but balancing ambition with happiness. Right. Now, did you start, uh, like, was family becoming, uh, I say this, you start making babies? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's actually the next big change that happened because, right. you know, in year four, when I, when I had kind of paired it back, um, then my husband and I did start the family, so <laughs> it was a bit it was a bit longer from that first initial thought. But you know, we did we did have a baby in two thousand and thirteen, and that kicked off a whole another que- a series of questions I had to ask myself about how much time I had available because we also moved to America. We had a baby, and we moved to America within about a two month period. Um, she was just eight weeks old. So I had a very brief maternity leave while I was packing up the house and then we moved to America and then I'm in a new country in a different time zone with an infant and and I'm still, you know, I used to do my copywriting brief calls with clients when she was asleep um, and it just became really difficult. So I started thinking to myself, how what is it that I want from this business? So I, you know, I thought to myself, I'd be happy if I was just the writer, but suddenly I had less than half the time in the day that I had before. And the whole point of starting a business was to spend this quality time with this child. And instead I was sneaking off to write emails. And when I was with her, I was thinking about work and I was stressing about work and I was staying up all sorts of crazy hours trying to meet the deadlines for my clients. And and it was it was horrible. <laughs> so that actually drew me, um, forced my hand into making um, some tough decisions about who I spent my time with when I had to be working and and how I earned my income. So that's drew me to information products. Okay, so before we dive into information products, uh, which is my favorite part, but uh, I'd love to know what kind of the numbers were at at this stage in terms of the size of the online presence you had built because we haven't really talked much about your marketing besides your initial growth during the early days getting graphic designers to refer you social media um, but things had changed as you said back then it was a bit different with social media now it's it's 2013 uh, when you were going through this period of transition did you mm. have a, a like a, well maybe you can tell me how big was your email list did you have uh, like a a fairly active uh, community somewhere that you could tap into or you know because if you're thinking about doing information products it's already kind of like a different clientele right you're you're no longer yeah. providing a service to a business you're now going to be selling to other copywriters so you would have yeah. had their attention from your blog which is fantastic but it is a, a big switch there so how what was your platform at that stage well, I'd been blogging um, for three years, three plus years, and I'd been on page one of Google for nearly that whole time as well. So that's where the content got me. Um, but it when also when you say page one, you mean for what? Oh, sorry, for um, copywriting services, professional copywriter, SEO copywriter, SEO copywriter Melbourne, brochure copywriter. You know, so it was for offering copywriting services. Right. So. I thought I was marketing to business people predominantly. And when I started thinking about changes to my business, I asked um, myself who my tribe really was. So I started analyzing who responds on social media, who comments on my blog, who are the people I talk to most often. Because, you know, I'm looking at, you asked about my email list. Um, I think it's, I think it's about twelve or 1300. So it's not, it's not massive, but it's, it's not too shabby. Um, you know, I've got, several thousand followers on, on each of the social media platforms. To be honest, I don't really focus too hard on numbers. I really just love to see people replying and commenting and talking to me and emailing. I, there's nothing that pleases me more than people directly emailing me um, after getting my latest blog post and telling me, what they got from it. I find that really, really rewarding. So, you know, when I made the switch to information products, I did have enough of a social presence 
to get some immediate responses. Um, but w when talking about my tribe, I realized that the people who were engaging with me most often were copywriters. So that made me um, switch my focus for my information products to make sure I was targeting my most profitable tribe, which are copywriters and aspiring copywriters. And I actually still have, um, you know, business people attending my courses and a lot of business owners reading my blog. But as you know, when you're targeting a product, you have to think about that bell curve. Who's in the middle that you're going to focus most of your messages on? Which turned out to be copywriters, copywriters looking to basically do what you did. Yeah, that's exactly right. Okay, so you're thinking information product business. How much knowledge and experience did you have with information products at that point? None. <laughs> not at all. Had you not, not had you written sales pages for anyone else's information products? Oh, I mean, yes, I had written sales pages. I had consumed information products, so I'd bought them. You know, I'd attended courses and bought eBooks and stuff, and I was always very uh, watchful of of how people created launch series and how they they built buzz and and what the email responders were around the launch and stuff like that so I think when the seed got planted you know even in 2011 2012 because this was a someday thing someday I would like to offer a course someday I would like to do these things um, and then they just I never actually did them but I was starting to take notes on how the people I loved and respected were doing things mm -hmm. So what was phase one of the switch to information products instead of uh, freelance services? Well, probably there was this little lovely grey area where I was starting to present courses live. I worked with the Australian Business Women's Network and I presented, um, repeatedly presented a copywriting course for them. And I was also, um, I did some in-house copywriting training for some organisations, including, you know, one called the Copywriters Collective. So I'd started training and teaching um, but they were generally in these kind of live settings so I knew um, I could do it and I knew I would I was pretty confident I would get a good response because I had always got a good response from these sessions that I had run so the first um, process for me was to work out like a I did a, a bronze silver gold product structure I, I spent a lot of time thinking about what, what might be the entry level, what might be my main product and what might be the super duper platinum or gold version that I would try and work towards. So that was, you know, a lot of time thinking. I was given a piece of advice that said your, your principal product should be priced about $2,000 and that was simply to make you create something good enough to charge that kind of price so my course isn't that much um, but that gave me the impetus to really create something of, of high value so that I didn't have to spend a lot of time on an information product that actually wasn't earning that much. So did you go out the door first with a course was that the? Yeah that's exactly right so my copywriting masterclass um, is the course that I offer and that's my principal course. So I have some kind of lead-in courses that I've since created to create this kind of content ladder up to my principal course, my copywriting masterclass. And that's, you know, that's a three-month experience. All right. So let's, that was your first one though. So the copywriting masterclass was your first ever information product you sold. Yes. Okay. So can you explain how did you do everything to do with it. Obviously, I know you could write the sales page for it, for the, yep. for one part of it. Um, did you have technical assistance with any contractors or were you the tech person as well? Yeah, I did everything for that. I wrote the modules. So it's um, it, there's 16 lessons in four modules. So I wrote all the content. Um, I worked with a graphic designer because I wanted the content to look really good, which, you know, if you're asking for a premium price you have to offer a premium product. So I worked with a graphic designer, but I actually, you know, the contents, I wanted to make it super accessible. So it's in PDFs and video tutorials. Um, so I did all the video tutorials myself and the editing and all that kind of stuff. Um, what about things like, you know, setting up the membership area, the membership software? Um, 
Well, the first time I launched it for the for the inaugural course, I used um, Derek Halpern's Zippy courses. So I used someone else's bit of tech. Okay. You installed that yourself and everything? Yep. Okay. Yep. I got it on a subdomain on my website. Um, so that was, it was actually quite easy to do. And, you know, that handled the payment process. People could sign up. Um, it linked into my MailChimp, you know, my email marketing. Okay. So that bit of software solved problems that I didn't even know I was going to have. And the first course went really successfully. And what I did after that is I actually moved to um, Copybloggers Rainmaker platform. Have you heard of that? Yes, yep. Yep. So now when the course runs, there is a full membership site. So uh, there is a forum. Um, there is, you know, the content is in an LMS. And um, I also use their podcasting, so, you know, tools to record the live coaching calls. Whereas before, you know, I just kind of did that on Skype and I, I used Dropbox to make the calls available. But now it's a much more cohesive experience for the students. Okay, so Rainmaker plus MailChimp, is that your current setup for technical delivery? Yeah, that's... And that's... Stripe for payments or PayPal? I use PayPal. Okay. And I have my video tutorials on YouTube uh, on pri privately. Okay. Pretty straightforward. Yeah, it is pretty straightforward. Um, I like to keep it simple because I don't, I don't want students having a complicated time trying to access the content. So when you first launched it, did you just say, hey, I've got a program and you'd already created it? Or did you do like a pre-launch, sell it, and then build it around the members? Uh, what I did is I... I started creating the content, so I decided to launch the course before I wanted. To, I knew I wanted to launch it before Christmas, and this was um, last year. And um, I had a little baby, and <laughs> I had um, four sets of visitors coming from overseas within a twelve-week period, and we were moving house. So that was all happening, and I decided I was going to write this. <laughs> 16 lesson course and take it live so there was a lot going on I had to be very focused I became um, very focused on time management and very good at it as well um, so what I did while I started writing the course I created a pre-launch sign up on my old website and I started promoting that and I basically said hey I'm going to be launching a really really fantastically awesome copywriting course if you want to find out about it when it goes live pop your name down and you'll be the first to hear about it and then I you know I had some emails going out to that list keeping them updated going oh you know this is what the covers are looking like and it's all coming together and I got people excited and engaged with the, the content that was to come and then um, I had, I think I had like a little Q&A session as well so I could, I could find out what questions people wanted to know and that helped me write the sales page. Um, and basically what I did is I, I left enrolments open for a month and just kind of waited to see what would happen. But because I only marketed it to that list of people on the pre-launch list, you know, I was only talking to people who were already interested and I put a cap of 10 students on that first course and it sold out. So I was really happy with that. Okay, so 10 students, I'm assuming that's not going to quite replace the, the freelance income you've got. That was like a test run. Um, yeah. So what, what happened next to expand it? And, and I haven't asked how much you charged it either. The, the course is $1,300. So the first 10 paid that as well or was it? Yeah, that's okay. exactly right. So I think... Um, you know, I've been reading a lot recently about, um, you know, building the course around the people, you know, offering, say, like a demo version at a cut down rate and getting feedback on it and stuff like that. And I think that is a really strong strategy. Um, I didn't do that. I went in saying, this is awesome. This is how much it is. And I thought, you know what, if no one buys it, then I'll adjust my strategy. But it sold out. So I went, okay, cool. And I just made sure that I was totally onto any support problems or content issues or anything like that immediately as they immediately as they happened. Mm. So nothing ever became a big problem. I'm guessing it was 
comforting having an established platform, a blog, an email list, and your social media following. It makes you feel more confident going out there and saying, I've got this product for sale. You can actually build a pre-launch list, like you said. Like That's actually quite difficult to do if you don't have a, an audience. You have to basically try and buy the traffic or quickly get a lot of exposure. And, and those people don't really know you yet either. And you had the benefit of that built-in tribe, so to speak. So that gives yeah. you some confidence, doesn't it, to, to release a product? Yeah, absolutely. And I'd say to anyone thinking about it, it's worth just blogging a lot, you know, in order to establish yourself and build a tribe. I'm glad you say that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So take us forward then. So how did this become the main thing you do? And and I love that you said, I think you called it a content ladder and I call that a blog sales funnel. So uh, creating a series of products leading up to your flagship product. So did you learn that from somewhere or that just sort of made sense to you? Um, I, you know what I've, it's something I've seen mentioned in quite a few marketing, you know, it's, it's talked about quite a lot on, on marketing blogs and stuff like that, this kind of content map. Um, I think I've just looking at my bookshelf, I read a book recently where he talked about a content ladder and the idea of this kind of steps up a ladder that did, uh, that did make sense to me. So that's how I always think about it. You know, the first step is really small, probably free. And then you take, you know, increasingly um, uh, more expensive steps that are still quite easy up to your principal one. So you're never making anyone make a massive jump. So what is your, your, I'm going to call it a funnel. What does your ladder look like today? (laughs) Well, I, um, uh, people start off generally by um, signing up to my blog and they get a copywriting cheat sheet as, as just a thank you for signing up to the blog. And that has, you know, 20 copywriting tips that will transform the way you write about your business. Um, and, you know, within that cheat sheet, I link back to old blog posts and, and stuff like that. So that's an extremely useful, just an extremely useful download. But I follow it up um, with a free copywriting course. It's just three tips um, because I know what it's like. You get a download and you think that's awesome and you put it in your folder and you never look at it again and you never take action on it. <laughs> um, so what I wanted to do was just create this really digestible, actionable mini course that wasn't overwhelming. And part of that is getting people to to get to know me a little better. I've actually got face-to-camera videos as well as, you know, screen capture tutorials and there are worksheets as well. So that's a little kind of introduction into the kind of valuable content that you might, you, you would discover in the copywriting masterclass. And then, you know, some people actually just want to, um, I get a lot of people interested in SEO writing. So a little mini step up as well. I have a, a an SEO writing course for people, you know, a lot of copywriters say, well, I, I kind of know all the other stuff, but I really want to explore SEO writing as a, a concise module. So that's another little product I have. But then, you know, each of them is, is stepping up to the copywriting masterclass and then beyond that which is something I'm doing hopefully this year this year but if not next year will be a a private coaching a small private coaching program to learn how to run a successful copywriting business so once they can you know complete the course and they've got the technical aspects of the writing down then I want to show them how to run a successful business so they can become an in-demand copywriter because generally the writing is only 50% of the time you spend being a business owner. Mm-hmm. So that's the step beyond the copywriting course. Okay, so I can suggest to the listener to go to copyrightmatters.com if you want to see what uh, you've just been talking about. Linda's been mm-hmm. talking about a product so you can see her her starting point so you can grab the the free content and see what she gives away join her list and you can see the products she sells and how everything she does uh, how she does it all so it's uh it'll be a nice companion to what she's been talking about um belinda i'd love to maybe turn this around a little bit to the person listening who is looking to emulate uh you and in particular the transition I, i would like to talk about the transition from freelancer to selling information products because you've, mm. you've made that work. And I think there's some people listening into this who um, they struggle with the idea of making enough money to replace. It's actually funny. You know, you, initially, you struggle with making enough money to replace your job income. And then yeah. you get, you're freelancing and you're working really hard and you realize you, you haven't replaced your income, 
but then it's like it's almost like you're employed yourself and if you don't do work there's no salary so there's no paid leave there's no holidays it's just yeah. you get paid to work either by the contract or by the hour whatever the case may be so an information product business is a natural next step and even if it's in tandem with freelancing as well as information products that's that's not a bad combination so what do you advise people now especially maybe in hindsight since you've gone through it maybe you think you could do something slightly better than what you did what what would you say is a first step to a freelancer listening to this to transition to an information product business well i think you know it's something that we've kind of touched on is build your tribe um so create a create a home base your website and i think blogging is just absolutely essential a lot of really really big organizations like the content marketing institute for example all they did for a long long time was just blog and blog and blog and they built up followers um, and then they just concentrated on offering really really valuable content across a number of platforms as well so they make sure they you know they have youtube stuff and they have some ebooks and they have social media and and all that kind of stuff but the goal is to build an audience and then you can start um asking that audience what it is they want because i think one of the mistakes a lot of people make and it could have happened to me because i i launched with this really big product i was that was a big gamble and so you know when you go through the process of building an audience you can ask them what it is they need and start building that and it doesn't have to be big you can start you know building stepping stone products that you then later combine into a into a bigger product mm-hmm. how do you ask though what do you recommend for that is it just run, send a survey out you know surveys are more than fine um there's nothing wrong with sending surveys to your subscribers i do it reasonably regularly actually well maybe like twice a year i think the key to getting surveys responded to is making sure that you're not asking 50,000 questions mm-hmm. <laughs> you know i a great way um that i do it that i get a lot of responses for is send an email saying you know hey there i've got a really quick question what's your biggest frustration right now it doesn't have to be that question but you just say quick question and then you ask them just one question and if you ask them just one question a few times a year you can gradually piece together this picture another way is just to listen to comments being made on your social media platforms on your blog getting comments on your blogs like it's tough gig it's not that easy so you know i think a lot of people starting out would probably go well that's all very well and good but no one comments on my blog so the other thing is to go into forums see what people are talking about see what they're complaining about see what problems that they're needing help with and you know even on freelance sites like there's a flying solo in australia you can go into the forum and see what people are asking about what problems they're having that's that's a, probably the easiest way if you don't have a big audience that's where you go go and mm. listen not in a weird creepy way but <laughs> in a really constructive way yeah it is a funny thing people get so wrapped up in the i don't get comments i don't have enough followers i don't have a big enough email list but you don't have to necessarily ask the people who are directly subscribing to you you can just find your target market and see what they're saying on other people's platforms to begin with that's a, certainly a starting point yeah. uh, and i love the open ended email question too i i've never liked formula, form formalized surveys some people really like them but i really like that hey i got a question for you type email or even just within a blog post um it just you get much more I think I don't know it's less structured answers which I just appreciate more plus obviously it's great working with clients that's how I get a lot of my survey data is talk to your coaching clients they'll tell you everything because they need the help so yeah <laughs> and I mean what you want ideally from these answers is is the really big elaborate detailed answers with emotions which, yeah that's exactly right because they're the ones that will lead you onto the right track Yep, if your client's crying, that's a good sign. <laughs> Maybe not, but you know. <laughs> it's a, definitely a deep-rooted emotional response, that's for sure. Yeah, that's exactly right. Okay, Belinda. So, I think we've covered your career and where you're at today. What's the the future for this? You you did talk about a next-level coaching program. Is that the end game at least for the near future? No, after that, what I'm actually working towards is is some kind of um membership subscription model. 
And I'm really excited by this idea of, um, you know, running regular webinars and regular Q&A sessions and regular coaching calls and having a forum um, where members can access all this content, not only about copywriting techniques and processes, but running a copywriting business. So at the moment, I'm just kind of, I'm you know, it's a big wibbly wobbly shaped thing <laughs> in my brain. The Doctor Who quote right there. Yeah, that you know it. <laughs> Um, but that's what I'm working towards. And, you know, we're talking about recurring income because running a course is not, it's time consuming. If you want to run a good course and you want students to walk away feeling like they've got a lot of value, you have to dedicate time. Um, so the next step will be, will be a more recurring membership model. But I just, I don't, I'm being kind to myself because, uh, these decisions I have, you know, I have to make around a toddler and I want to be there for her and I want to be happy and I want to actually have that little thing called a life that I read <laughs> about sometimes. So being kind to myself and being balanced in, in my approach to work saying that, well, I don't need to do it all this year. I think we're, we're similar attitudes, Linda. I, I agree. It first comes health and relaxation and doing the work you enjoy doing because you want to do it, not just because you're going after bigger, better, an extra zero on your you know, bank statement or whatever it is that a lot of people seem to fall for in, in the chase for more. So Yeah, that's right. Just because everyone else is doing it or just because someone's doing it mm. doesn't mean you have to do it. And, you know, you, you've got to be happy and mindful and present in your life. Agreed. And on that note... I think that's a great time to end. So copyrightmatters.com. Is there any other websites? Maybe you want to throw out your, your top social media or is just Copyright Matters the place to go? Uh, I think copyrightmatters.com is the place to go. It's got everything on there. You can, If you search for Belinda Weaver or Copyright Matters on pretty much any of the social media, the big social media platforms, you should find me. My big ginger head seems to be <laughs> everywhere some days. Yeah. I like around on social media way too much. I think you have an interesting haircut by the looks of your about page. Is it still shaved on the half side? Yes, Is that... yes it's still shaved on a, the half you're side. You're a bit of a rock star, huh? <laughs> it's like rebelling against mummyhood. <laughs> right. I'm sure your, your, your child one day may do the same to rebel against you. So, Or maybe... But a uh, very proper haircut who knows so i think this should go that way because you know i've got tattoos and i've got the head shave and i've got some piercings so i i oh. suspect she'll be ultra conservative yes. to rebel <laughs> you're, you're, you're probably raising an accountant right now so. oh, <laughs> <laughs> all right belinda thank you for sharing your story uh, good luck with the future of your online business i love hearing uh, everything you're doing information products and i i pretty much am aligned with everything you're saying so good luck with it all and thank um you. Yeah, thanks thanks for, for having me. It's been great to chat. I enjoyed it too. And for all the listeners, uh, thank you for listening in to both of us. You know where to go to get the show notes. So I'm going to put the links and everything. Well, actually, I won't narrowly. My assistant will. And she'll put the links to uh, Belinda's social media as well as her website, anything else we've talked about during this call. And you can get the transcript as well. So you can get that by going to entrepreneurs-journey.com or Googling my name, Yarrow, Y-A-R-O, and you'll find it there. Linda, thanks again. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. We'll talk to everyone else very, very soon. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Belinda. I really felt that was something that a lot of people can apply to their own situation. Now, if you'd like to get more interviews like this from me on a regular basis, then go to interviewsclub.com, which will direct you to my blog, where you can enter your email address to sign up for my EJ podcast newsletter, where I'll send you my latest interviews as well as my very best interviews from my archives. That's interviewsclub.com. Okay, that's it for me. I'll speak to you again on the very next podcast. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.